is from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We are still continuing with our discussion on repentance from dead works, being a subset of the global theme, Back to Basics, and this being the 12th installment of this global theme. We, at the beginning, had said that in looking at the foundational doctrines of Christ, that there are six of them. We talked about um, repentance from dead works, turning to God in faith, doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine of laying of hands, doctrine of resurrection of the dead, doctrine of eternal judgment. So we began to look at repentance from dead works, and we had said that we're breaking it into three. We looked at repentance, we said we'll look at dead works, and then we'll put the two together. That will be repentance from dead works, and then we'll discuss it. Thus far, we have seen what repentance is. That it is a turning away from what we have been doing wrong based on a conviction in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that what we're doing is actually wrong. And then a turning to the right way. That's basically what repentance is. Also, we've looked at what repentance is not. That it is not just a mere confession without a conviction, without a conversion. That is a change in behavior. We also looked at people who did not repent when they were given the opportunity to. We saw Adam and Eve. Adam blamed the wife. Eve blamed the serpent. In the case of King Saul, King Saul blamed Samuel, the prophet. Then we saw when God asked Cain about his brother Abel, whom he had just killed, he feigned ignorance and said, am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me that? So people feign ignorance to say, well, I don't know what it is about, and then they never repent. And then we saw Kings Asa and Uzziah, who were angry at the people who were correcting them. When they were doing what was wrong, then we also saw other reasons why people do not repent. They refuse to take responsibility for their actions. We also said that there are some people who enjoy the wrong that they are doing. They see nothing wrong with the wrong that they are doing. And because they don't see anything wrong, they will continue to do those wrong things and will never repent. Then we looked at why people feign repentance. Some of the things we looked at was that they want to get something that they've lost. And the only way they think they can do it is to feign repentance as though they are truly sorry. Meanwhile, the reason why they lost it, they have not even discussed it. Then we spoke of people who feign repentance after they've been caught and they want to avoid the consequence of their actions. Then we spoke about people who want to get respite from the hardship and punishment being meted to them. Like in the case of Pharaoh, each time Pharaoh saw that things were bad, they would repent. But once the thing that was a problem to him was removed, was eased off. He would renege on whatever it is that he had said he would do and continue to do his thing. And then we saw also that people feign repentance because they want to look good. They want to have a good public image. They're not really interested in the sin they have committed, but they want it to seem like they are accepted by God before the people. And you see a lot of people who, after they've sinned, what they come to do, especially those who are preachers, when they begin to preach and they see people getting moved and getting emotional, they are happy that, yes, at least it's not as if what I did wrong has impacted anything. And they are happy. So God, God is with me and things like that. But they have not addressed the real issue of what they did wrong. And then we looked at the content of true repentance. Basically, summarizing everything we have done. True repentance is a realization that what I am doing is wrong. And this realization comes as a result of a conviction in my heart. The heart that can receive such a conviction to bring about that realization must be a good and honest heart or a broken and contrite heart. One that has been 
devoid of self and arrogance and pride. Then we spoke about acknowledgement and admittance of wrong. I must admit it. I must acknowledge it, which is the confession based on my conviction. My confession must be based on my conviction. If my confession is without a conviction, it is no confession. It is not a true admittance. It is a false repentance. In fact, I will be considered a hypocrite because I'm saying something that is different from what is taking place in my heart. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, With a heart man believes, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I'm confessing what I believe. Then there must be repudiation, forsaking of our sins. You cannot say that you have repented from sin, and then you are still gloating in it, you are still swimming in it, you are still reveling in it. You must hate it, and you must forsake it. It's not enough to hate it, if you hate it, you will forsake it. Because if you hate something, you will not put it in your home. So if you hate it, you must push it out. Then we spoke about restitution. Restitution is making things right. If you are truly repentant, then whatever wrong you have been doing, you will make right. Indeed, if you stole somebody's thing and it's still with you, when you are repentant, you will return it. Even if it's not with you, when you are repentant, true restitution means that you go and say to him, you are the you are looking for, I'm the one that stole it. I may not have it now, but... Please take money for it. And we saw the example of Zacchaeus who said he will give half of his money to the poor and whoever he has taken things from forcefully or wrongly, he will return to them fourfold. We mentioned that when you are doing restitution, you are going to be broke. You are going to lose everything more or less to do restitution. But it is a mark that your heart has truly been touched and that you are a changed person. And finally, we spoke about a willingness to change. We said it is not so much the change. The change is done by God. But what we do is to be willing to change, which is the conversion. When God sees our willingness to change, he then supplies us with the grace and the power to begin to live the right way. And my prayer is that the Almighty God will help us to be able to live as God wants us to live. In today's broadcast, we shall move forward from discussing repentance to now discussing dead works. But let's start by asking, what are works? Works are acts, deeds, actions, activities that we engage in. They may be church-related, they may be work-based, they may actually be secular-related, but they are basically what we do, the things that we do, the actions that we take, the activities that we engage in, in our daily lives, in our everyday lives. These are basically works. Now, we know that the Bible makes it clear that we are not saved by works. But after we are saved, we must engage in works. So we are looking at works as, in this context, something that we engage in after salvation. So after I am born again, I still go to the office. I still run my business. I will still go to church. I will continue to live even in my home, with my family, with my children, and so on and so forth. These things are works. And even though I am not saved by them, after I am saved, you should see the works of righteousness in my life. So works are basically those activities, those actions, those deeds that we engage in, that we do in relation to other people that we interact with. Now, there are two base categories of works. Let me read James chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 14 to 26. James chapter 2. From 14 to 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, 
and fill, but you do not give them the thing which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. When we look at this passage of scripture, we find that there are good works and there are dead works. So we see here where it talks about somebody coming to ask you for something and then you say, let me pray for you. You pray for the fellow and you send him away. He says, of what use is your prayer? If you have the means of ameliorating the fellow's need, why don't you give it to him? If you do that, then that's good works. But if all you did was to pray for the fellow and you had the means of alleviating his issues and you did not give him, then your prayer is considered dead works. Then he goes on to tell us about faith. He says, if you say that you have faith, and on the basis of your faith, you are not showing works, then your faith is dead. That kind of faith is dead works. But a faith that is manifested by actions, by our works, that is what we call living faith, actually. But it is good works. And so he uses the example of Abraham to explain to us. He said, Abraham's faith was tested. And when it was tested, it was proven to be good works. Because when God asked him to give his son, his only son, to God, he went there and gave that boy to God, almost killing him, but for God stopping that thing. In fact, the Bible says that as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was dead. It was as though he was received back on that day, on that mount, when God said, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you really fear me. And then he now moves on to discuss Rahab, a Gentile, one that you would have said would not even have faith. Rahab was somebody who hid the spies who had come from Joshua to spy the land of Jericho. And when she did that, she told the spies, she said, we know that your God is God. We heard of what he did to the Egyptians. We heard of all his exploits with you in the wilderness. And that is why you see us afraid. We are afraid of you when we heard that you have crossed. She said, I know that God has given you this land. And then she now says, promise me that when you guys come, you will not kill me and my family. Now that is faith that is living. That is faith that is active. That is someone whose actions will be considered good works. Her faith was considered good works because she believed and she acted upon her belief. So for somebody to claim that he or she believes, but his action is contrary to that belief, it means that that person is engaging in dead works. And then he says, you believe that there is one God. Demons also believe and they tremble. So even though demons cannot exercise good works, he's trying to draw something there by saying, just imagine, demons believe that there is one God. They tremble. You claim that you believe that there is one God, but you don't tremble. You continue to act as if God is non-existent. That action is dead works. So we have good works and we have dead works. In Second Timothy 
chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The essence of scripture, the essence of Bible study, is to build us up and equip us with the graces that we need, the abilities that we need to engage in good works. That is why we go through scriptures. If we lived apart from scripture, everything we would do would be dead works because it will have that missing ingredient of the direction of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And so we have good works, which is what you are supposed to engage in. And then we now have dead works, which is what, unfortunately, many people, including those who claim to have been born again, engage in. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible reads, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? If you say you are born again, you have repented from sin. But the actions you are taking, the things you are engaging in, is leading to sin. It means that you are obeying sin. And that action of obeying sin will lead to death. Which means what you are engaging in is dead works. But if your actions are based on obedience to God, obedience to righteousness, then your actions are good works. And of course, we know what Hebrews 6.1 talks about. Repentance from dead works. A turning away from dead works. So we're going to look at Repentance from dead works in full when we look at that. But what he's saying there is that you must cease from responding to sin and now respond to God. Each time you respond to sin and its agents, which includes the flesh, whatever comes out of it is dead works. But when you respond to God, whatever you do is good works. In Haggai chapter 2 from verse 10, on the 24th day, of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now, ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priests answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. So what he's saying is that if you are unclean, whatever is emanating from you is unclean. So for you to engage in dead works, there must be something that is dead in you. You cannot say that I am born again, that righteousness is at work in me, and engage in dead works. If you are truly repented of sin, you will engage in good works. So it is important that we take a deeper look at what dead works are. And as we take that deeper look, we'll begin to have an understanding of what it is. When we talk of dead works, there's a reference to death. Now, death is the absence of life or a separation from life. Let me give an illustration. Man is a trinity of sorts. is a spirit who possesses a soul and dwells in a body. If somebody were to injure the body, maybe a gunshot, and the spirit is unable to survive within the body, then the spirit and the soul will depart from the body, and the body will lie there as a lump, a cadaver. The body is dead without the spirit. 
So dead works is something that you engage in in the absence of life. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 4, it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 4, concerning the word, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Lord Jesus Christ is life. So when you talk of dead works, you are talking of an activity that is devoid of the life of God. An activity that is devoid of Christ. That is dead works. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So if you possess the Son of God, you have life in yourself. That life is the life of God. And because the life of God is in you, it should translate into life in everything that you do. The essence of us looking at this is to let us understand that if what you are doing does not have that life, then it is possible that you have not possessed the Son of God. You may have given your life to Christ, but you have not possessed him and he has not possessed you. You have not surrendered to him. You are still doing your own thing. There are people who say they are born again, but they are still engaging in what they want to do. They make their own plans and bring you to God and say, Lord, please, this is my plan. No, if indeed you are born again, you don't have any plan. God is the architect. He's the one who has planned it. You are the one to implement the plan. So when you live a life where you are still the one making decisions, what you are engaging in is dead works. Anything that comes out of that decision making that is not based on God, but based on what you feel is dead works. If you plant a church because you think that that is the right thing to do at this point in time so that I can harness these souls, but God did not ask you to do it, it's dead works. So going deeper, we can say dead works are acts, they are deeds, they are activities, they are actions that we engage in that lack the life or presence of God. Hence, we can talk of a dead church, a gathering of people, but God is not there. The Lord Jesus Christ is not there. We can talk of a dead church service because even though it has all the trappings of a service, hymns are sung, praise and worship is done, a sermon is preached, and people come forward to receive Christ and so on and so forth. Because Christ himself is not there, what we have done is dead works. We have just acted by rote, and we have not done anything. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. One translation says, you who do what is unauthorized. So the Lord is saying that you cannot, just because you are saying, oh Lord Jesus, be doing what is contrary to God. He's saying that it is not the one who is saying, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, or Lord, Lord, that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. No. It is the one who is doing the will of God. So you can be engaging in certain activities and then he mentions those activities. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? In your name means doing it by his authority. So he said, did we not prophesy or preach in your name by your authority? Did we not cast out demons by your authority? Did we not do wonders by your authority? And he says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I didn't know you at all. I had no relationship with you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is, you were not under authority. You were just doing whatever you want to do. That activity is dead works. So we can say dead works are acts, deeds, activities, actions that we engage in that are neither authorized 
not approved by God. I just feel like doing it. No. Is it authorized? Is it approved by God? That is the fundamental question. And that is why if we don't understand what dead works are, we wouldn't even know what we are repenting from. And so we are trying to use that concept of realization of wrong. So what we want to do here is to see what dead works are. And then we can begin to see what wrong we are doing. Our works, our acts, our deeds, our actions, for them to be acceptable before God, therefore, they must be initiated by God, inspired by God and implemented by God. All three must be present. God must initiate, must inspire, and will implement. Your role is to prepare yourself for God to indwell and do his work through you. So it is God who is doing his work. So he must implement it, he must inspire it, he must initiate it. Otherwise, it's dead works. In Jeremiah chapter 1, when God called Jeremiah, we'll look at that exchange, and you would see what God told him. Jeremiah chapter 1 from verse 4 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. So we see here that God was at work in Jeremiah's life, telling him that I initiated this before you were conceived. I had initiated it. From the very foundations of the world, you had been chosen. So forget about your youth. The inspiration came when God spoke to him. And then the implementation came when God touched his mother and said, See, I have put power in you. Whatever you say to pull down a nation, the nation will come down. Whatever you say to lift up a nation, the nation will rise. Jeremiah was not known to have traveled outside of Judah. Yet, what he spoke whilst in Judah took place in the nations around. So, when we talk of works initiated by God, good works, this is what we mean. Jeremiah was a good work, but we know the things he went through, the challenges that he faced. If at one time he said to God, you deceived me, and I said I wasn't going to preach again, but I realized that your word in me was like fire, burning me up. I could not keep my mouth shut. I had to speak forth what you said I should speak. So the question then is, what are dead works? And I'm going to give three definitions of what dead works are, and then we'll look at some examples. One. They are acts or deeds or actions or activities that are not initiated, neither inspired nor implemented by God. Anything that you do that did not originate from God, that is not inspired by God and is not implemented by God through you is dead works. Second, dead works are acts, deeds, actions, activities that we engage in that do not have the life or presence or authorization, or approval of God. So whatever it is you are doing, that God is not presenting. You want to do something, God says, I'm not there, you're on your own. One time in the wilderness, when Israel annoyed God, God said to Moses, I'm going to send an angel, and that angel was capital A, so we know that that's pre-incarnate Christ. He said, he will go with you, but I will not go with you. And when Moses told the people, they were all sad. Today we are happy to receive the gifts, if the giver doesn't come. It doesn't matter. We have the gift, that's all. But Moses said, no. If you don't go with us, don't take us anywhere. We are not going to go if you will not go with us. And that is what good works are. Good works are things that God is present in with you. But for you to be content, to be satisfied, that you can go somewhere, you can do something, and God is not present, 
and you are comfortable, you are okay, is dead work. Finally, dead works are actions, activities that we engage in, in the flesh, and they lead to eternal death. Because the life of God is not there, what we have is the flesh. And because it is the flesh, everything you do in the flesh, be it singing, be it preaching, be it prophesying, be it casting out demons, whatever it is that you're engaging in outside of God, based on Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, is dead works. If it were not dead works, the Lord Jesus Christ would never have said, depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawyers or who do things that I have not authorized because they are acting in the flesh. These are things that God wants us to disengage from. Let me read Matthew chapter 6. I read from verse 1 on the three activities that a Christian is supposed to engage in. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Because this is something where he said, when you, not if you, when you means that you are obligated to do it. A time will come when you must do it. In Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Let's pause. So he's saying that you can do a good deed and it becomes dead works. Why? Because you have made it known. And he uses a very strange illustration. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That is how secret he wants it to be. So that nobody will know that it is you doing it. Just go ahead and do it and keep quiet. Leave God to do it. Today I see a lot of people sounding trumpets of what they are doing. Advertising it. I'm talking of churches. I'm talking of Christians. No, you don't have to. You don't need to. What you have done is to turn a good deed into a dead work. Something that would have brought glory to God, you have taken that glory. It has become dead works. It doesn't count for anything in eternity. You have received your reward. What is your reward? The publicity. The renown that, oh, he's the one who did this. So naming streets after yourself is dead works. Don't let your deeds be known. Do what you're supposed to do without anybody knowing. Otherwise, you are hypocrite because the Bible says that hypocrites like to be seen in public. A hypocrite is somebody who engages in an action or an act publicly that he would not engage in in private and does not even intend to engage in in private. That's a hypocrite. A man who is doing a deed for people to see, but at home, his children are suffering. His wife is suffering, but outside we say he's a fantastic brother. What he's doing is dead works. He's a hypocrite. There are people who look good in church, but there's something else at home. What they are doing is dead works because that's hypocrisy. Then let's go to verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites again, people who pray in public only. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What's their reward? They have been seen by men. They come to pray only in church. Say, other brother is a prayer warrior. You have been seen. You have your reward. There's no other reward for you. Your reward is what you wanted people to see that you are praying. In private, you don't pray to God. You don't know God. But in church, you are the one making the loudest noise. You are the one who is always seeing vision. But in private, your life is completely different. It's dead works. It counts for nothing. In verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. These advertising of prayer meetings by churches on billboards. It needs 
to stop. You don't need to invite anybody to pray. When you pray, the result of the prayer will be seen in public. So you don't need to invite people and say, we are praying for Nigeria. Don't tell anybody that. Some pastors just think that they must prophesy. Those are dead works. You don't have to do it. Why do you feel the need to prophesy? Did God ask you to prophesy? Is it Jeremiah 23 where God said, look at these people who are running around and saying, God says the Lord. I did not ask them to say anything. And besides, God said, if they had stood in my counsel, if they had listened to me, if they had been in my counsel room where I was taking those decisions, what they would have said would have drawn people to me. But what they are saying is cutting the people away from me. You go to church, you hear the man of God telling you, oh, go and do this, receive money, do this. You find the churches talking about offering and tithes. What is going on in a situation where the economy is not even moving? Nobody says that you shouldn't give. But don't make it an issue. Leave it between the individual and God. Let each individual be blessed by God. We have developed a penchant to speak for God to people. Instead of speaking to God about the people. And then letting God speak to the people himself. And the people respond. We preach so much about faith. Yet we don't live by faith. We live by strategies and plans and hints. May God have mercy on us. Let me read verse 6 again. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of. Before you ask him, understand the God that you are praying to. Let's skip that section and then let's go over to verse 16. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sits in secret will reward you openly. Now, there's a lot of fasting that has taken place. And there's nothing wrong with fasting, but there's a right way to fast. At the beginning of every year, churches are making so much noise that we are fasting, we are fasting, we are fasting. Don't do that. And what has happened to the fasting in private by individuals? After they've done that global church fasting, nobody fasts again. Save a few people. The rest of them is what pastors say. And you think you're engaging in good works. You're engaging in dead works. Read Isaiah chapter 58, where God challenged Israel. You know, we live in a world where the church believes that God cannot chastise them. Maybe because they don't have that kind of relationship with God. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, those that I love are chastised. If God loves you, he will chastise you and say, what you are doing is wrong. But we don't want to be told that what we are doing is wrong. So we think that everything we are doing is right because we are the ones doing it. If God is the one doing it, you will know that what is being done is right. But when you are the one doing it, it's wrong. So your fasting should also be in secret. That's why there's the ridicule taking place. You can fast without making noise. So when we talk of giving, praying and fasting, it can become dead works if you act like the hypocrites doing it for sure. It is good works. When it is between you and God and no one else. The way we are practicing church today, everything is about publicity. So people who don't even do anything in private will come and do something in public so that they can receive accolade. They have received their reward. On that last day, when they come and say, but we gave, but we prayed, but we first say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Get away from here. In Matthew chapter 7, the one that we read about, earlier, 21 again to 23, where the fellows were saying, but we preached in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we did signs and wonders in your name. Again, he tells the dead works. So you can preach and it is dead works. You can cast out demons and it is dead works. You remember the sons of Sceva, the exorcists, 
Those are dead works. Some people feign casting out demons. It's dead works. When you are casting out demons, you just give instruction. Out. It goes out. You don't need to be there rolling up your sleeves and sweating. If indeed you are in right standing with God and God has authorized you to do that, you won't sweat. People think that if I cast out demons, God must be there. No. It's not in every case. And like I said earlier, the sons of Sceva, who told a madman and said to him that we adjure you in the name of Jesus by whom Paul preaches to come out. The man grabbed seven of them, beat them, stripped them naked and threw them out of the house. Why? They were engaging in their works. So people must understand that it is not so much the activity, but the motive that makes it good works. The inspiration for it, the initiator and the one implementing it that makes it good works. Otherwise, it is dead works. If God is not present in an activity that you're engaging in, that activity is dead works. If God did not initiate an activity that you're doing, did not inspire it by his spirit, and is not implementing it, is dead works. If, for example, God says to you, I want you to build a church. Many times we think that when God says, I want you to build a church, that he's talking of a building. No, he's not talking of a building. He most likely is talking of souls. And he will be the one telling you, go and talk to this person. Go and talk to that fellow. Go there. Go here. But we have people where today... Everybody says, God told me to build this church. God told me to build this church. And we are building next door to one another. There's confusion. God is not the author of confusion. So there are a lot of dead works taking place. All in the name of church planting. In the name of preaching. In the name of casting out demons. In the name of signs and wonders. In the name of giving. In the name of prayer. In the name of fasting. These things ought not to be so. By the grace of God, in our next broadcast, we will be looking at a little bit more of dead works. There we'll be looking at the characteristics of dead works and we are going to use some scriptures where we will now see what dead works are in a deeper sense this has just been an introduction to the subject matter of dead works my prayer is that the little that we have heard should challenge us to seek to change our ways to seek to evaluate what we are doing right now what we have been doing to go to god in prayer and say lord these things i have been doing were they authorized by you or was i just doing it some people are sent by a pastor to go and plant a church they don't even pray to hear from god themselves there's nothing wrong when you're young you can still be led go and do this and do it a time comes when you need to sit down and say lord are you asking me to go and then you you don't go and also challenge your overseer. No. You prayerfully go and say, sir, I'm convinced that I shouldn't go. He wouldn't force you. He can't force you to go. That's the truth of the matter. But that you are still smoking. You are still taking Indian hemp, still drinking, still womanizing. Then they say, go and pastor a church and you carry Bible and you are going. There's something wrong with you. You want to kill yourself? They may not know. That's the truth of the matter. They may not know. Don't believe that everything you are told is from God. No, it's not. And that is not casting aspersions on these people. Sometimes they look at you because all you are doing is hypocrisy. They see you in public. You look okay to them. You even have the stature. They are not here. You know that Samuel almost made that mistake too in the house of Jesse. So it's not a casting aspersion on any of them. No. You should also act as a safeguard for them. When they say go and do this, yes sir. There are some things I'm still struggling with, sir. I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how much you say. Let me settle here and sort myself out with God. But you know, many of us, we are excited about the office, about the title, about people saying pastor, pastor around us. And we go and put our necks into something that is deadly. And we don't know that it is a deadly thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So I'm praying that we'll use this opportunity to really reflect on what we have been doing. Maybe you write Christian articles. 
Ask yourself, is it God asking you to write the things you have been writing? You are preaching. Is it God asking you to preach the things you have been saying? Are you motivated by God? Are you inspired by God or you are inspired by money? You want to build a 500,000 sitter auditorium. Who told you to do it? Is it God? Or is it a motivation from you? Is it inspired from within you, not by God? We need to spend time and do these things. And by the grace of God, when we meet again by God's grace, we'll be looking at some deeper things in our dead works. Because we must bring ourselves to the realization that dead works are not good and they have no place in God. Remember that anything you are doing that God did not initiate, that God did not inspire, and that God is not implementing dead works. If you are the one having to go and bring this, having to go and bring that to do what God is asking you to do, is dead works. Because yes, God can initiate something and he will tell you, but at the right time, he will inspire it. So that you take off. There's a timing issue. You will inspire it. And when he's inspiring it, everything that is required to implement it, he will provide. By the grace of God, we'll look more at some of these things. And God will help us. Let's not think that because the activity is prayer, or giving, or fasting, or preaching, or casting out demons, or signs and wonders, or any, or church-related, church-based, or whatever, that it must be God. I used to hear a saying one time, which had no basis in scripture. They say, if it is good, it is God. That saying is dead works, 100% dead works. I leave us at this time to go to God in prayer and speak to him. And I trust God that he will minister to your spirit. Until we meet next week.